I'm always learning from the kitchen and they're always learning from me, but Kim always told me um, that the gardener is the first chef. And so that's the way we try to do things here at the Zinn House is instead of the chefs coming to me and telling me we need this, this, this and this, um, I go to them and I say, hey guys, this is what's thriving in Mudgee today. How are you going to use it? Can you celebrate it? This week, Dirty Linen is spending a week in Mudgee at Low Wines getting a... I guess hopefully a complete portrait of all the many things that go on at this vineyard, winery, restaurant, garden, orchard, it all, it's all happening here. Um, our guest today is Lydia Bloxage. She is the head gardener at Lowe. Lydia, welcome to Daddy Linen. Thank you, Danny. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm super excited to be actually in Mudgee sitting with you in Zin Restaurant, for which you grow so much of the produce. Give us a little bit of a sense of the role of head gardener at Lowe. Yeah, okay, so head gardener at Lowe. So my role encompasses um, quite a lot of different things, but it has a big focus on the Zinn House restaurant um, and really collaborating with the chefs here at the Zinn House. So we really want guests who dine at the Zinn House to experience the regional seasonal cuisine and produce of the Mudgee region. So I work really closely with the chefs um, to kind of curate the the menu and work together to share the story of the produce that thrives throughout the seasons here. So Mudgee has uh, really defined seasons so we get really cold and frosty in the winter and then we get really hot and dry in the summer. So the scope of what we're able to grow is huge and we really want to share that that story um, of seasonal produce with our guests. And so when people come here and you know they're usually fortunate enough to have a, a chat to you before they dine, what will you show them? Like what does it look like? What will they see? Yep, so when de- guests come here, we've, we've just started offering a couple of months ago at the beginning of the winter, uh, we started offering garden walks as a way to welcome guests to the restaurant. Um, and they're currently only offered on weekdays, so Thursdays, Fridays and Mondays. And I take them for a 15 minute walk through the gardens. So I introduce them to the Zinn House Herb Garden, which is a garden primarily made up of fruit trees. So we have stone fruit, an abundance of peaches, nectarines, plums, apricots. There's olives in there. Um, and then an understory of woody and perennial and culinary herbs and then I take them through the market garden so that's where we grow a lot of our annual herbs and vegetables. Um, Winter in Mudgee is an amazing time for your leafy greens so things like salads and lettuces and kales and rainbow chards, Um, your brassicas, cabbages, broccoli, cauliflower and then of course your root veg so radishes, beetroots, carrots. So I take them and just share with the guests what it takes to grow a head of cauliflower or a head of broccoli and they can see how they're growing and really interact and engage with that food and then come back to the restaurant and see how the chefs have utilised and celebrated that produce. Yeah, so, I mean, I love cauliflower and I often buy it at my local fruit shop in Melbourne and, you know, occasionally it's $3.99 and sometimes it's $7.99 and it's usually got a few leaves on it but not that many. So, I mean, what am I not seeing when I just pick up a cauliflower pretty thoughtlessly and think about what I'm going to cook with it? Yeah, this is one of my favourite topics, Danny, and it's something 
thing I really try to talk to the chefs a lot about so that they can and I can share that with the guests. So a cauliflower has an abundance of gigantic, almost elephant ear sized leaves around the head of cauliflower. The leaves actually make up about two thirds of the plant itself. And the same goes for broccoli um, and cabbage as well. But of course we harvest the single head in the center of those things. So brassicas really need those big leaves. They act as solar panels to um, accumulate the, sun, the energy from the sun um, to produce the really beautiful heads. Uh, so there's an abundance of leaves that have equal nutrient density in them and taste just almost just like the crop themselves um, that can be eaten and celebrated in the same way. So yeah, it's pretty incredible. And how long would it take to grow one of those big, beautiful heads of cauliflower that I saw down there? Yeah, so the collies we planted at the end of April and we are now, gosh, the beginning of October. We started harvesting them the very end of August. So it's almost, oh gosh, it's at least five months here in Mudgee. We have a period of very cold, frosty months, June and July, um, where the plants really slow down their growth. So it may not take that long in other the regions that get a little more warmth during the winter but for us it takes five to six months to get ahead of cauliflower so and that's with the addition of beautiful compost teas to really support that growth and yeah of the crop. Yeah I mean they really need to be honoured when all that time and work goes into them and I love thinking about the leaves as solar panels it's yeah very very cool and yeah very vivid as an image. So another thing that I noticed walking around with you is that there are quite different styles of growing that you're playing around with. Can you talk us through some of those, uh, I guess, different methods? Yeah, absolutely. So the market garden here is still relatively young. So it's a year a year since we've started um, growing in that space. And we are still experimenting with what works best for us, given our capacity and um, what we can manage overall. So we've got a method that's quite traditional market gardening. So we utilise weed mat to suppress the weeds um, and then uh, nets over the top of the brassicas were growing in the weed mat. So we throw the nets over the top white cabbage moth is an awful pest so that was to protect the brassicas from the white cabbage moth when they were still young um, and to protect those leaves from being defoliated by the white cabbage moth and consequently not being able to accumulate that energy they need to produce the head. Uh, the other methods that we're trialling there's more of a permaculture approach in one section of the garden so that's where we really celebrate diversity and we've planted at least six different crops in that space Base, all growing together and all of those crops serve different functions they all reach maturity at different times throughout the season um, and they all give and take different nutrients from the soil and then we have a method down in our garlic bed so garlic's a long-term crop so it takes roughly on average eight months for a garlic to grow from a clove to a head and so we have covered the soil there with wood chip mulch and that has many functions the wood chip it um, suppresses the weeds it retains soil moisture protects the soil from the harsh sun and wind elements and also helps to keep whatever uh, heat there is in the soil in the frosty months in the soil 
Um, and then it also is a worm's favourite food. So soil microbial life love wood chip. And then we interplanted our garlic with a lot of shorter term crops so that we could harvest from this space in that time. So there's things like lettuces, radishes, dill, um, a, a huge diversity of crops amongst our garlic as well. It's so interesting. And I, I guess the that interplanted garden looks a little bit chaotic and wild. Like, can you talk about how you think about order and chaos the balance between them when you're growing plants for food yes it's um it's a very good point it does look a little chaotic and um potentially to someone who doesn't recognize a garden or who recognize more um maybe monoculture gardens it does look wild um, but the idea is that each crop reaches maturity and harvest time at a different time so our chefs don't get inundated with one certain type of crop um, and then the the soil is never left bare as well so it's also just creating that resilience so if something was to come and wipe out all of our cabbages say the white cabbage moth then we'd still have an abundance of other crops to harvest and supply the kitchen with so and weeds, um, even as you say that word, it sounds like, you know, weeds are evil and out to get us. But what is your philosophy around weeds? How do you see them? I love weeds. I mean, oh, I love and hate weeds. They are um, both ends of the spectrum. But weeds have had a hard rap in gardening overall, and they can be very challenging to keep on top of. They can be very dominant, and that's one of the reasons why they have that reputation. But weeds are also messengers, so they help to tell us what the soil may be lacking um, and they have the ability to grow in soil that may be lacking something and to bring that soil back into balance. So weeds tell us things. If we can learn to listen and learn alongside our weeds, then they can be a gardener's best friend. I think it's just about learning to work with those weeds and um, yeah, really observing what the message is that they're trying to share. Have you got any plants that are your favourites or ones that really amaze you in the way that they grow or the, their behaviour? Absolutely. I think this season I've just been mesmerised by cauliflowers. I can't express it enough. Just the size and the weight of these collies and the flavour. They're sweet. Um, the, the, yeah, just the flavour and just to watch as the head emerges from the leaves has just been the most beautiful thing. And then the time that it's taken to get to that, even my appreciation for the cauliflower that I eat, it just is amplified every time I see them growing and <laughs> it never gets old. And then of course I love, we have a beetroot called the bullseye beetroot and it had all the candy stripe and it's red and white rings. And every time I harvest one of those, I'm just, nature is just spectacular and that's just a beautiful reminder every time. Wow um, what got you into all of this Lydia like you really know your stuff but how did you uh, become a gardener? Yeah so I left school and you know I didn't love being inside I didn't love sitting down I had a lot of energy I wanted to be outside interacting with nature and it was always in the garden or somewhere in nature where I felt most calm and most at peace and so I really wanted to find a career that would support me to do that and so I studied horticulture and then landscape architecture but really wanted more of the plant um, side of things and to dive really deep into that and so after I graduated from landscape architecture yeah I, d I wanted those field skills so I found a year-long apprenticeship in Costa Rica 
um, and that was a full immersion program in permaculture, agroforestry, um, natural building, homesteading. It was everything to live a more um, conscious life, I suppose, and how to be more in touch with nature and everything that we do, and also how to have productive spaces around us. And how did you end up at Lowe? At Lowe. So I was working in Byron Bay um, prior to coming to Lowe and I had been working as a contractor and I just really wanted something that was a little more stable and consistent, especially after all of the um, rain that we'd had there. It was quite quite a challenging time to be working outside in those elements. And so the role came about. My sister's husband found this um, role for me online and he sent it through and he's like, Lids, I found this job and it sounds just like you and so I applied for it as soon as I um, read it because I was just so surprised it, it, I just felt like it was exactly what I'd been calling in and within a week I had the job and couldn't resist it was just it's just such an amazing opportunity to be here and yeah always learning and growing so um, amazing so on Daddy Linen podcast we're usually talking to people in restaurants and you know so many chefs these days love to know where their food comes from perhaps they are growing some of their food but it's very rare that a restaurant gets most of its food from the business that surrounds it and supports it what have you found about you know building those relationships with the people in the kitchen you know are they teaching you are you teaching them how does that all work Yes, so I think it's very much, um, it's it's an exchange and it's cyclical. So I'm always learning from the kitchen and they're always learning from me. But Kim always told me um, that the gardener is the first chef. And so that's the way we try to do things here at the Zinn House is instead of the chefs coming to me and telling me we need this, this, this and this, um, I go to them and I say, hey guys, this is what's thriving in Mudgy today. How are you going to use it? Can you celebrate it? And working like that, I just feel yeah so honoured to see the way the chefs celebrate the food um, and the time and the energy that's gone into growing that food and sharing that with the guests. So it's a beautiful way to work. What are some dishes that they've put up that you're like, oh, I would never would have thought of that. Yeah, so the Jerusalem artichoke chips at the beginning of the meal at the moment are incredibly delicious. So um, they're just very thinly sliced Jerusalem artichoke with a beautiful seasoning. Never would have thought of that. And it's so delicious. Also, the cauliflower and truffle puree is amazing. Um, and then the rotolo, the um, the spinach and cheese um, pasta is delicious. So, yeah, always creating beautiful dishes. I mean, when we, we've talked a lot about cauliflower, I mean, does it... How do you feel about it being pureed? (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you should say that, Danny, because when the chefs came to me, they're like, we've come up with the best collie puree. My heart broke a little bit, but (laughs) I think I understand that they need to really use these ingredients and celebrate them in the way that they see fit according to the other ingredients that they have to work with. And cauliflower puree and a beautiful piece of meat, I couldn't argue with that. Yeah, it is very very delicious, but the cauliflower, 
flowers are so beautiful to look at as well. They are. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I mean, so, so we're coming towards summer. What are you looking forward to growing and seeing in, in the kitchen and on the plate? Yeah, so my favourite thing about summer is tomatoes. And I've never lived in a climate quite as dry and hot as Mudgy. So tomatoes thrive in the dry and hot climate. And so I'm very excited for homegrown tomatoes. I just think there's no flavour like them. Um, And then, of course, pumpkins and zucchinis, fresh, crunchy cucumbers on those hot summer days, I think, will be essential. Um, And then watermelons as well. So we'll be growing a lot of those those kinds of crops. Mm, Watermelons, that's amazing. How long does it take a watermelon to grow? It depends what variety, but my favourite variety is a little sugar baby and their little mini, very sweet watermelon. And they probably take, gosh, three months if you're lucky. So I'm hoping that... Yeah, by December, January, we'll have them on the table. And Lowe's a very interconnected business with so many different arms to it. And it always seems like there's about 50 or perhaps 100 or 200 things about to happen or going on or in in planning and production. What's it like to work here? Like, how do all the pieces fit together? It's the most beautiful work environment and just to see how all of the pieces do really work together. So um, the garden doesn't just supply the the in-house restaurant, whatever excess we have also goes into the events kitchen um, in the pavilion and is used for events and then also onto the bakery at Althea. So they have a beautiful savoury pastry at the moment that celebrates the silver beaten rainbow chard coming out of the garden. So it's just beautiful to watch how everything works together and how um, connected we all are and there's nothing better than a fresh croissant before you start your day in the garden and a beautiful meal to end that so it's yeah it's a beautiful workplace to be a part of and just so much going on as you say. What do you what sort of I guess penny drop moments do you see in some of your guests when they come here you know are you really do you see their minds expanded you know, before your very eyes? Yes, absolutely. And that's one of my favourite things about the garden walks and just getting people into the garden in general because I remember how I felt when I first harvested, the very first crop I ever harvested was a gigantic zucchini. Um, and I was just mesmerised. I was like, wow, we can grow this ourselves. And so to see that same awe and wonder in anyone who walks through the garden, especially the cauliflowers, honestly, they're just... just People's eyes light up when they see these and it's just so beautiful. So absolutely. And the little apricots that are on the trees at the moment and seeing the connection that people make between just observing how these these fruits that we see in groceries actually grows and engaging them in that is so special. What change would you like to see spring from these realisations, whether it's, you know, as someone who's dining or has a balcony or is a chef wondering what to put on their next menu? Mm, I would really love to see people giving it a go themselves. That's, that's and I know that it can sometimes see, seem very overwhelming, but if you just get some seeds in the ground, it's incredible to watch them grow. But if you don't want to start out on your own just yet, just engaging with local farmers and local producers and supporting them in whatever way that you can, whether that's to go for a garden walk or, you know, spend a day in the garden or on the farm with them, little things like that. I just think the engagement is the the biggest thing and that that's what changed me was engaging in spaces like this. And so if I can get more people 
engaging and um, planting a seed that that grows curiosity and interest then that's the that's the biggest thing love it well I feel like you've planted seeds in this conversation Lydia thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and experience with us today and helping build this picture of low yay thank you so much Danny This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.